0: Okay, hello, hello, hello. here we go. Welcome to the Quantum Shit show with Jody Bo and Danny. This is our first episode, so basically our pilot and our plan is basically to have a conversation like we would normally have with one another, except just record it. Um, but I guess this one will be a little bit special, a little bit different because it is our first, and we will have people who are tuning in who are viewing. Um, almost like an audience so we want to definitely address that audience and address everybody who's listening to this right now Uh, and just give a little bit of background um, from each of our perspectives as to what this show is all about why we call it the quantum shit show (laughs) and I guess give a little basic intro as far as what we'll be doing here Um, just want to thank everybody who is listening who has tuned in Um, and I think I'll kick it off or Jody, you want to kick it off? You're good. Okay.
1: You got, you're you're in your flow. It's good.
0: All right. Um, all right. Well, my name is Bo Angel and I'm so happy to be a part of this experience here, um, doing a podcast for the first time. Wow. So we're ready to go. Usually I'd have a notebook but I have coffee instead. And at first we thought this was going to be called the round coffee table.
2: <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. it's that funny.
0: Yeah. But um, we ended up on the quantum shit show because, well, how many conversations have you know, we all had with one another? But for anybody listening, how many conversations have you had where you just look at your life and not um, necessarily all the time that your own life would be, in a state of complete disarray and misunderstanding, but you know, how many times have we been like, this is just such a shit show. The things that we're watching, the things that we are (coughs) sometimes even participating in, um, you know, this show is about growth. This show is about life. It's about things that we learn, things that we laugh about. Um, You know, and then I can imagine that there will be some tender moments here in this space. There will be some deeper moments. I mean, we're (laughs) we're not necessarily studied scholars um, by the definitions of this world, but I think each of us has a very unique journey that we have walked in background um, that has created a lot of experience and a lot of um, situations and circumstances that we were somewhat forced to grow through, um, forced to go through sometimes it felt like. And um, for us three, I feel like we uh, each have chosen to grow through that and seek deeper understanding of not only this world and this reality, the nature of it, um, um, but, you know, just how do we as humans – experience the nature of that reality in in a place that is constantly trying to define it. Right. And we come across all these definitions, but how do we as humans experience that reality and just make sense of it, but then have a conversation about it and then bring not only our subjective views, but is there something objective that we can see together that we can understand and agree on? Is that even possible? Um, You know, we will get into some deeper stuff here. I mean, we will talk about um, (laughs) things that are quantum.
2: That's the double entendre of the title, right? (laughs) The quantum shit show, but also the quantum shit
0: show. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's a a double entendre, exactly. So, um, I mean, quantum suggests that there are (laughs) two different experiences of the same thing. I mean, I guess I'll just kind of break down like quantum (laughs) relates to bits of information. That's really what it is. And I'm not going to give the most like scientific um, definition that would be probably found coming out of the mouth of a quantum physicist who's been studying at MIT for the last 20 years. But, you know, quantum itself suggests that something is existing in more than one place. So either two places at the same time or infinite places. It basically points to what is called quanta, which is uh, information, bits of information, um, measured data, pieces of data. So quantum reality and quantum physics suggests that things aren't as set in stone as we once thought them to be. You know, old physics, Newtonian physics, um, certain models of physics, even anatomical structure of molecules is not what (laughs) we once thought uh, as a human species. And now we're kind of getting into a space where um, the possibilities are seemingly endless and there's an unlimited potential. of outcomes of certain things or uh timelines we'll, we'll speak about many times in this space here in the, at the quantum Shit show we'll talk <laughs> about timelines we'll talk about alternate realities parallel realities um we'll ask some serious questions uh and then just have basically a roundtable experience to share our own insights but essentially try to get to the bottom of some of these things but, also, offer um, not guidance, but just offer those insights and the questions themselves um, to a public audience or a general audience, and have that level of intimacy where we're having relationship with one another, <laughs> and people are watching that happen. And I think that that intimacy is what has been so valuable for each of us in our healing journeys, because. It's in that space where you know we can uh, let others into our process and share our own experience that it can provide permissions that some people didn't feel like they had before it can offer insights or perspectives that uh, people have not had access to. And you know I think we've all experienced too that some of the ways that we were seeing certain things kept us very trapped in not only just the basic limiting belief systems, but, you know, things like trauma loops and trauma responses and uh, the same relationships over and over, trauma bondings. And essentially the goal is to just be free, I feel. Um, I'm a huge promoter of liberation. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, that's, that's basically the essential from my view the essential point of doing this whole thing was have conversations and you know Jody and I would go to Florida where Danica is or even vice versa as of recently and we would just have these conversations and be like it wasn't so much about like what do you think about this or what do you think but it would just be like we're sharing from the things that we've already experienced and it's like whoa that just completely (laughs) activated this other thing and other thing in me that I've been processing, but I haven't had the words to like actually express that. And so many times, I mean like how many times have we sat around a breakfast table or breakfast counter or (laughs) like as soon as we wake up and be like, you know, what, how'd you sleep? What were your dreams about or whatever? And by the end of that three, four, five hour long conversation, we're all just sitting there like, what the just happened? (laughs) like my perspective on life was completely different 4 hours ago and I'll never go back <laughs> you know exactly. that's uh we wanted to you know it led to that happening so many times that we'd be like we need to record this mm-hmm. we need to be recording this you know like it, it needs to be uh captured in some way to where we can like share that or there's so many times like in a general flow of just how we talk that it's like, you could never say that thing the way you just said it again.
1: That happens regularly. All the time. Regularly.
0: And how many times have we in our very human nature just been like, I wish I could say that thing, how I said it that one time, exactly right here, right now. And it would like produce the same effect that it produced that first time that I said it. Um, Without realizing that the first time that you said it, you didn't even mean to say that you're just in a flow. Mm
2: -hmm. You know,
0: we'll talk about even where that flow comes from. You know, whenever we tap into certain things, what's influencing what's Mm -hmm. pouring out of our mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, But we'll also talk about all things having to do with Mm -hmm. our basic foundation of this 3D reality that we're in and the hilarious things that we see. I don't think that it will be like a political show by any means. I just think that it will be like, you know, let's talk about what's going on or let's um, apply this deeper filter and understanding of God as we know it to the current events of the world right now. Let's make some understanding of this. Let's see what this is actually made of. Let's have a conversation.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
2: I think that's so important too, because I feel like a lot of times um, through social media, um, people have this idea of what we're like and they don't really know because text takes a lot of the humanity out of the way that we convey certain topics. And so I think that this is really cool um, to be able to actually like have a a very real, um, you know, off the cuff recording, especially with both of you. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I agree with that so much. It's funny because
1: I think that there's all this refinement that goes into like putting a post out on social media or whatever. And I think we're just conditioned to that. I totally agree with you, Danica. Mm
2: -hmm. And then
1: you sit down and just have a conversation like we do, you know, and there's coffee and eggs involved. And it's like (laughs) (laughs) what Bo said, in a matter of a couple of hours, everything about what we thought we knew has completely shifted. And we've said a lot of things and we're like, we need a notepad right now. We need to write this down. And Bo says stuff like that during the day. We'll be driving in the car, and he'll just like drive, and he's kind of like off in his thought, and he'll just look at me, and he'll say something so profound, and I'm like, write that down. Why are you not writing that down? It worth saying again, you know. So I'm I'm excited to have this conversation too, and I'll say for myself, um, I when we started talking about doing this podcast, well, the thing was, it was one of those moments too. I think no joke, Bo and I were in the parking lot of the grocery store and we were having a chat back and forth with Danica and we had talked about a podcast while we were in Florida. And then it was like, what are we going to call this thing? You know, and we were <laughs> observing everything or happening around us. And and I mean that in the sense of like the communities were plugged into and things that we had already been experiencing and, and the quantum shit show was born in a matter of minutes. It was just conceived and it was out there, you know, in the ether.
2: So it's so true because, like, five minutes later, we already had our graphic and everything.
1: <laughs> yeah. but when I were walking in the grocery store, Danica was sending us, "What about this?" And I'm like, "I like this one." And we're like voting in the grocery store. It was so with, good. I think we left a bunch of things at the grocery store that we didn't even pick up because we were so distracted. Yeah, that's true. But <clears throat> it was from that moment of conception that all of this other stuff started to like spin out and like really have a place. I feel like it's giving it a place for it to go because I think that we're constantly having these ideas and these conversations. And then all of a sudden it's like, now we have a place to put this, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's how it feels to me. And as far as the quantum shit show goes in terms of like where, where I'm at coming into this space, like my personal journey of spirituality has been, you know, raised in Christianity and God meant a certain thing there and leaving that structure and moving into full on new age, um, teachings. And then God was redefined through that. And then from there it was like, well, no, that's all wrong. You know, there's a lot of false stuff in there and now you've got, you're gonna have to redefine God again. And it was a couple of years ago that I got introduced to what we are calling quantum. And I can honestly tell you, I didn't even understand that at the time. And then watching that progress and that was like ETs and, you know, this is what God is and the law of one and and all of these things that I was now having to educate myself with and then figure out, okay, now what, what does God mean? Who is God through this? Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it's just like being able to have this conversation and watch the evolution of God in my own life Mm -hmm. and like (laughs) my evolution in my relationship with God. And then having that conversation and getting to talk it out because as soon as I think, oh, this must be what it is. It must be this. Something will come up and there'll be some ideation that gets spoken. And it's like, maybe that's not what it is after all Maybe (laughs) and um, learning to hold my beliefs very loosely Mm -hmm. um, and anchor in the truth and that, that knowing um, which is something way different than what I believe um, in terms of how it feels and everything. And then just getting to have a conversation here with y'all is like so much fun. So hopefully everybody else will enjoy it too.
2: Yeah. I like what you said about um, getting to see, the evolution of your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Cause I talk about that a lot of how, um, like God is never changing, but the way that we view God is constantly under review and under recalibration. And our personal relationship with God is so individual. And I think, um, I think that's why I left religion, you know, and I think that's why um Religion doesn't work out for a lot of people because they try to cast this this uh, blanket over everyone and say that it has to look this way or you're not a good Christian or whatever. And Jody, like you, I was raised Pentecostal. You were raised Pentecostal, right? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And um, (laughs) I I say my mother was Pentecostal. She was very lax with me, so I my first like I don't know five years uh, it was very strict, and then she got a new job and um, she was working shift work all the time. So at that point I was just like, you know, I didn't have to go anymore. So, um, and I, I am grateful for that, but I do believe that, um, yeah, quantum, what we're what we're calling quantum work has opened up and expanded the lens, the scope of which I view not just God, but everything around me, you know? And I was saying this in my, um, I, I was on a podcast with Kelsey Lauren Um, was it yesterday? Maybe it was yesterday or the day before. I can't even remember. But time is an illusion. It's all (laughs) blending together for me right now. But um, I was was talking about... um, Oh my God, what was I talking about? I literally just forgot what I was saying. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind. Okay. Well, oh, I remember. Okay. So I was talking about how quantum... (laughs) Yeah, and this is so unedited that this is gonna. Yeah, this is like a real conversation. Welcome. So I was talking about how quantum physics and quantum, what we call like quantum work or quantum psychic work, actually are there. They do go hand in hand Mm -hmm. quite a bit. One is form, and one is more formless. So it is like the masculine and the structure, and the feminine and the intuition. And I think that um, what I would really like to offer here in this space is a a bridge between the two because i think that they both have to work in tandem with one another like we can't have one without the other because if we have if we have quantum psychic work without like the logic right and the and the groundedness and the structure then it's really easy to float off into like narratives and and fairyland and stuff like that but then uh conversely if we have all of this science and structure without like spirit and intuition, it's very cold and sterile. Right. Right. So I think that here, um, personally what I would like to see come into this space and, and be conveyed through this podcast with the both of you is a, um, just a, a bridge that's being built between the two where we can find a space between science and spirituality and find how they work together and, and how, you know, it's not supposed to be so mystical. Like you say, Jody, all the time, it's not supposed to be so mystical. It's supposed to be very practical. I mean, and um, yeah, there, there, there are answers to the things that we experience that we would call like um magical or supernatural or whatever, or psychic, you know, there's, there's, there's actually an explanation for it. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I I would like to see a very grounded approach to um, this work that we do in this community that we find ourselves being involved in, because um, so often I see, (laughs) I see, (laughs) A lot, a lot of questionable stuff. I don't want to. I don't want to say like I don't want to. I don't want to slap a label on anything or like, um, um, pathologize something. You know what I mean? Where it doesn't need to be pathologized, but it it, it, te- it teeters into psychosis sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and uh, yeah. So I'd like to bring it back somewhere in the middle from those two spectrums because I feel like that middle ground is where, um the reality and the truth really is. I agree. That, I, I've always called it practical
1: spirituality. I've always oh, this yeah. has been like the way that I have approached things because I've watched both things play out exactly what you just talked about. Either the ultra spiritual where there's nothing grounded, nothing anchored, and it's all floaty and uh, quote, unquote, mystical and mysterious. Everything is mysterious. And I'm like, But wait a minute. There's a whole practical side to this that actually brings those things forward into a manifested space. There's actual there's actual structure behind that, you know. And Mm -hmm. um, you know, like you said, I grew up in church, and everything was about the miraculous. So they were always waiting on God to show up and perform a miracle. Um, Come to find out, here we are in. Uh, a new day and age. And it's like, there's so much information available and you can actually look at things and go, Oh, the things we called a miracle actually have a scientific structure behind them. And there's a way that you can actually bring this forward in your life on purpose and consistently. And, you know, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just with you all the way there on that.
0: So powerful. This is, I think just a straight up, like an inside look as to what I think all three of us have really been feeling into, especially for the last few months, but so much more like this year, 2021, as we come, this is, uh, I mean, we're recording this. We're going to put it out in a couple of days, but right now in 2021, like this whole year has been an uncovering of, (laughs) or really a breaking down of that veil of mystery and illusion. And, coming up to this peak moment where we start to see that veil falling. And I think so many people are, but to really have something that was considered formless, right? The eyes could not really see it. It could be felt, known, understood, experienced. The whole ideology of bringing science into spirituality or ex- expanding in scientific understanding to the point where it starts to encompass some of those spiritual experiences and beliefs. This is what's happening with quantum physics is the expansion mm-hmm. and evolution of that science is beginning to, um, what do you call it, where it grows and then it starts to
1: It's stretching. It's expanding.
0: Stretching, but there's a word. I'm trying to figure. Evolving. Yeah, it it just expands to where it starts to um, take on and start to actually describe some of the things that will seem to be outside
2: of that. Right, right, right.
0: Envelop. I don't. Oh,
2: like an amoeba.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's just like all of a sudden. Oh, we're in a scientific understanding and a scientific view of these things, and we're. In something that can be defined, that is objective, that can be described and viewed, no matter what lens you're viewing it through, this is the outcome. This is the experience, and that thing has started to expand to the point where the means of control that had kept humanity in its bondage, in its darkness, are actually being understood at a level that cannot be denied. Mm -hmm. And the Mm -hmm. mysticism, the illusory nature of miracles and Uh, teleportation, moving through time and space, living eternally, um, healing instantly, all kinds of memory clearing and the quantum healing experience, it starts to be understood at a level where it's not a mystery any longer.
1: Right. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. And at the source of all of that, I think, well, first of all, let me preface this by saying, from me and what I say, you will probably hear a lot of opinions in this show, you'll definitely hear a lot of opinions. You'll hear things that are of my own experience, but you'll also probably hear me say a lot of things (laughs) from the perspective that I have on them. Um, And I understand that that is subject to change, right? But I'm going to express it from the lens of like, this is pretty much how it is right now. (laughs) And um, (laughs) I think that that's what having the conversation is all about, but this is exactly what we were saying a couple of days ago. This was one of my thoughts that Jody was like, you need to like write this down. I know. Was that, you know, whenever people are seeking spiritually, you have the whole of people who are spiritually seeking. And as it's inevitable, I feel that science will begin to define and describe the things that have remained a mystery for hundreds, even thousands of years. And as that happens, we are going to see those who are truly seeking spiritual truth versus those who are seeking spiritual fantasy, Mm, right? Those who are completely um, in the mystery of it all and they're attracted by the allure and the luster of that mystery and that unknowing Mm -hmm. as we come to start to know truly more from an objective lens we're actually going to see those who are seeking truth versus those who are speaking or seeking an idea of what spirituality actually is. Mm-hmm. And we'll see all of these spiritual <laughs> communities starting to break down,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it will only create the truer foundation of what that blueprint or that truth actually builds. Mm-hmm.
2: And so how many times though like in our own work have we seen something in what we call the quantum fields only to find that it's just now also being revealed in quantum physics and there's an explanation for it and then we see it and we're like oh th- I've already seen that in the fields right right and so yeah. this is what it is right mm. this is what I'm talking about there has to be that that bridge there between quantum physics and quantum psychics because they really do go together yes Mm-hmm. They really do go together.
0: There will be many who choose the comfort of the unknowing because it will allow them to perpetuate the means of control and power that they mm-hmm. have either knowingly or unknowingly harnessed in order to sustain the narrative that they have found that power in. So, mm-hmm. you know, like Jody said, holding beliefs loosely, each one of us have, I think that identity is a big part of this conversation too, because. You know, our my experience in this life has been one identity to the next. It has been the embodiment of this person who I was supposed to be, and then this next person who I was supposed to be. And every like my healing journey has been basically unraveling all of those circumstances that pinned a certain identity or Energetic expression onto me what I was here for who I was here for what I was supposed to do What I was supposed to say what I was supposed to think we see this happening on a global level And the only reason that it works on people is because of the identity Mm -hmm. Our identity is misplaced in this world Right and we have a a true identity that is not of this world. This is what we've heard quote-unquote mystics speaking about Mm -hmm. Um, but you
2: know. and it's rooted in in our identity with God, right?
1: Right. I can't wait. I mean, I am so looking forward to the progression of this conversation because I know we're going to get to talk more about identity and how it's impacted mm-hmm. us in this community and in this in our own journey. I know we're going to get to talk about quantum healing. Like, what does that look like? What is that? Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. and of course, at the at the center of all of this is, um, you know. Our relationship to God, you know, and even getting to talk about that and and to not define it, but really just articulate better what our experience has been mm-hmm. and what it has meant for us. Why we're here, you know, here. why we're even having this conversation to begin with, because it's been truly an evolutionary journey of getting here. Mm-hmm. Um, because the first time we all got together and Bo and I made a little trip to Florida, we were not talking about this. That is for sure. We were talking about a lot of things. But we weren't yes. talking
2: about this. So Yeah, we were talking about a lot of things. <laughs> I think it's really interesting too how we came into a friendship, all three of us. Yeah. Yeah. I think it I think it's probably worth telling that story for people who don't know because I think that it just really goes to show that if we're willing to lean into our own triggers and unravel our wounds, allow ourselves to be vulnerable and be held that we can come into deep meaningful friendships with people who we feel a, like a friction against. And so for those of you who don't know, um, I uh, Danica <laughs> was triggered by something that Bo had had posted because I felt in that he was posting something about indigenous culture. And, um, it was related to a lot of the work that I had been doing with myself and other indigenous, um, women in the community. And, um, he had posted something and I, I guess you had picked up on something that was happening in the fields related to the work that we were doing. And, um, I just got really triggered because a part of me felt like I had ownership over that work or that wound or whatever, you know, and, um, Ultimately, I made the decision to actually just reach out to them. And it was, I sent you, I sent you both a very long voice note on WhatsApp and I was just crying. I was crying, but I was explaining to them that this is how I felt. I don't want them to change anything because it doesn't have anything to do with them, that it's just me and my wound and I need to sit with it. But I needed to tell them how I felt so that I could move through it instead of holding it inside of me. And through that one of the most beautiful friendships I feel like was born out of that vulnerability and the way that y'all held space for me while I worked through that. And, um, I actually, if you would have asked me before that happened, I would have never thought that we would be as close as we are now, but Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful and grateful that we are. And, um, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for the, trust and comfort that we've built with one another in our friendship, because I know that I can bring anything to y'all and we will work through it. You know? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I think for us,
1: when we got that voice note, I mean, this has just been a year ago. It was just a year ago <laughs> that this happened. I mean, it feels like I've known y'all forever. <laughs> um When we got that message from you, the first thing that Bo and I said to each other was like, Oh my God, like how refreshing. What a fucking relief. For someone to actually come and have an honest conversation and say, hey, I just want you to know like this triggered me and I know it's not you. I'm going through this, but I need to express it. And I was like, welcome to adulthood, people. This is how you work through this. Because Bo and I already do that with each other in our relationship. So then to have someone who we hardly know come and have an honest conversation with us like that was like literally a breath of fresh air. Cause we had already been through literally we were, that was on the heels of some really traumatic stuff going on in our life. And just being able to have that conversation and then us to be able to share back and forth and be like, Hey, we are totally not here to, Mm -hmm. um, do anything like that with you or anything that you're working on. And I think Bo was even like, dude, I I can take my hands off of this because I don't – this isn't about that I need to share this, right, or whatever it was that was going on. Mm-hmm. And then just giving everybody space and it it totally um, impacted us yeah. in a really powerful way with you, Danica, because we were like – Oh my God, imagine if all people treated each other like this. Mm-hmm. Like, what would the relationships of the world be like if people were accountable and responsible for their own stuff? And then they could have a good conversation and it wasn't an attack and it wasn't more triggering and it wasn't, you know, blame. And right,
0: because exactly <laughs> it wasn't just an honest conversation. You brought truth into yeah. the space. Yeah. I think um, something that we've had an experience with is that honesty isn't always the same thing as truth because how we feel honestly <laughs> from time to time. And I think spiritual uh, communities or leaders or teachers, and they focus on honesty as a virtue whenever it's very, very subjective and it can be expressed. Like our honesty can express two opposing things from one day to the next. Right. And the right. truth is absolute. Like, and I, I know that a lot of, healing comes from understanding the absolute truth, but truth will never, you know, put accountability somewhere that it isn't. Truth is not a leaky thing that um, puts responsibility on somewhere, someone that it doesn't belong to. And that's exactly what happened with Danica was that she was honest about how she felt, but she also brought the truth and she brought something full spectrum as far as exactly. this is how I'm feeling. I'm having a trigger um, there was emotion being expressed, vulnerable emotion. And it was also that this is how I'm feeling. I know that this is my trigger. I'm not trying to make you responsible for this. I'm not trying to make you course correct. I'm not trying to influence you or push you to do something different. I just had to do this for me. She was like fully accountable for what was going on on her side of the street. And if that's freaking hard to do. I'm trying to work on my uh, language here, but. <laughs> <laughs> we're having explicative in the uh, title, but you know, it's freaking hard to do, right? And that's what's required to hear. Yeah. And I, it, it allowed me to <clears throat> take a moment and hear that and realize that there were most likely <laughs> things that I didn't fully understand about what I was trying to bring forward, mm-hmm. right? Which is what happens all the time. But I allowed another perspective to give me some insight on a a picture that I didn't see the, the whole picture of, you know, Mm -hmm. I didn't see the entirety of. So, um, we ended up just having a relationship out of that one experience because the essence of that interaction was very true. Right. And it was refreshing. It was, it was a breath of fresh air for some of the, um, ways that, not only we have in the past handled our own triggers unaccountably uh, with unaccountability, but the way that other people treat one another um, whenever they stand for certain spiritual virtues, but they're unable to actually be fully accountable for what is going on with them and their experience, right.
1: Lots and of they're justification trying to, yeah and-
0: trying to get somebody else to fix that or correct something or make them feel better. <sighs> and I'm not even saying that. Uh, all energy like that we feel is completely our own experience because I think two energies that communicate with one another they affect each other and I don't know if anybody no matter how spiritually in tune you are is completely unaffected by external energies
1: yeah. mm-hmm.
0: you know I think that there's a paradox there because in some of the same spiritual symbols that say we are all one and what I do is affected by uh, what you do and vice versa <laughs> They're also preaching a virtue that you can't make me feel any certain kind of way, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you know, it, it was just fully accountable. It was a really clean interaction. And that has been the interaction that we have continued to have. And that has become the backbone of our relationship. Like Danica said, if there is anything that needs to be expressed in this space, we express it according to a very specific hygiene.
2: Right. A way of
0: interacting that keeps it super clean.
2: Yeah. And I'll say too, that it was refreshing on my end, the way that y'all received me, because so many times when we come to someone with that type of vulnerability, sometimes we're met with something like that's not mine. That's yours to walk through, you know? And (laughs) you know what I mean? The way that y'all just received me when I came to you um, with what I was moving through. And basically was like, you know, this involves you, but I know that it's not yours, but I need to express it for me. And I didn't really ask y'all to hold me through it, but you did anyway, you know? And it was just, it was very refreshing because you were like, let's keep the conversation going. Let's keep doing this. And I think that it's really affected the uh, – it raised the standard for how I conduct all of my other relationships too. So it, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's really rippled out into everything else in my reality. Um, and then, Bo, I really loved what you said about truth not being the same thing as honesty. And I know Jody has said that before because mm-hmm. honesty can come from a wound you know, like how I'm honestly feeling about something is not necessarily the truth because my honest emotion could be anchored in a wound mm-hmm. that is activated. And so therefore it's not actually the objective truth. Right. So yeah, I really, I really like that. I love that distinction too. Bo said yesterday, and this is one of the things I was like, you need to write this down.
1: <laughs> he said, we were talking about an exchange that we had witnessed and he said, you know, they can say that's the truth. And he said, but the truth brings clarity. It keeps things clean. It does not stir the shit pot. Mm. And I was like, that is true. (laughs) (laughs) It keeps it clean. You know what I mean? It it doesn't make a mess and it's not stirring that shit pot. So, you know, just like even just that one little moment, moment, I was like, oh my gosh, this is causing me to reevaluate all the things that I bring forward that I'm like, You know, I feel this is true. Or even that I witnessed that I say, I feel this is true. And I'm like, but what is the impact that it's having? And I appreciate both saying that about our interaction because it, that is the truth. Like there was no messiness out of that. You Mm -hmm. know, it didn't spin Mm -hmm. out of control into all this fractured nonsense. It was just very contained. There wasn't any leakiness from the exchange that we Mm -hmm. had. It didn't have to fall out into all these other places. It was just handled right here. Among the three of us, and then, yeah, our relationship that was the igniting of a really awesome relationship, mm-hmm. it
0: was real I mean, there were there were ahead, real, real emotions being expressed right. there, real pain being felt and and real tears being shed, and it was like it was like you know there were things for me to realize and all of that, and then that put me on a journey into white privilege and like understanding <laughs> white privilege even more. Whoa. Wow, sorry. <laughs> it, it was good for me because, you know, I've denied white privilege my whole life, me like a freaking uh a blonde haired, blue-eyed German guy. <laughs> just like for anyone who doesn't know and is just hearing an audio of this, um <laughs> I, I have literally been compared to some horrible things. Um but you know, it, it really put some things in perspective for me and it helped me heal. It helped me, you know, be able to approach things more consciously and you know, be able to put some things together about ways that I had been groomed ways that I had been, um, you know, Mm -hmm. groomed to view the world and from my lens, the way that I acted, you know, And, and of course, my intention was pure in sharing these things about Incan timelines and Incan ancestors and things that I genuinely felt and was being given access to and whether or not I could really understand why at the time wasn't on my radar, but I could totally see how somebody who'd been working on indigenous culture and healing ancestral memory. And, you know, I think Danica, even you would be able to describe more what that was like for you, but I didn't really know about that. I was just getting, uh, <laughs> geeked out about and super excited and giddy about like, Ooh, I'm going to share this, you know, I'm going to use my voice or use a platform and having these other things that I wanted to do. And, it gave me another perspective. and So I, I put everything on pause and we haven't really done anything with that. I let, I let uh, somebody else go ahead and do that.
2: <laughs> well, I, I actually think that this, the whole interaction between you and I was something that was supposed to happen, you know, because a lot of that indigenous work that I was doing with myself and others um, who were also indigenous and healing like ancestral trauma and um, all of that kind of stuff I'm not just indigenous. I'm also white too. And so th- having that interaction with you was very healing for me, not just for you know white people outside of myself, but it it was it was healing for that whiteness inside of me that I was hating, you know? Yeah. So it, it brought a lot of dimension um to the scope of my healing and I think that it was necessary that it, looking back in hindsight now I feel like that was actually necessary. That that interaction was a piece of the whole of what we were doing, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And then Jody, what you said about um, the truth doesn't stir the shit pot. <laughs> I love that because the truth, the truth. In order to access the truth, though, we have to hold, like, uphold a certain code of conduct to stay in alignment with it. And I think, like, accountability and ethical responsibility, and all of that, really is um a part of being able to hold the truth and so responsibility accountability if you're actually like embodying that it's not going to stir the shit pot it's not going to want to because you're going to stand in your in your power like you said the other day and your power of choice uh and responsibility take accountability for what you're actually doing and and not try to pawn it off on other people so yeah yeah right there
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i know it's 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 a journey, and Bo was talking the other day about the difference between subjective and objective truth. And um, I've seen many people post and share a comment about this, and a lot of it I agree with. Um, and I and I'm excited for us to get into those conversations we because will. the truth is objective. You know, that's what makes it absolute. <laughs> but it is <laughs> viewed with all of our subjectivity. It's viewed by us with our lens and our experience, and. Those perspectives, and then people claim, you know, their own truth versus the truth, and those things get muddled and colored. And I don't know. I'm just excited to get to have those conversations too.
0: Yeah, I think that that brought something up for me too because we're going to talk about a lot of paradoxes in this show. (laughs) A lot of contradictions because God does not contradict itself, right? These are some of the absolute ways, right? God does not contradict itself. The truth is eternal. And in some of these same circles where they talk about zero point neutrality, changelessness, right? Mm -hmm. Eternal living source, right? The zero point. They're also talking about the only thing that doesn't ever change is that everything changes. (laughs) You know, the only constant is change. And it's just there's a massive contradiction here. And it, it, it raises the question. Are there two different realities being expressed here? You know, they're an absolute reality where all things come from. And then in the lens of the world where we're in and the only constant is change. We kind of have to start look at this as there's two different realities being expressed here. Right. There's two different formulas that are being expressed here. And whenever we talk about something that is eternal, that is alive, that is constantly creating, um, but also doesn't change, (laughs) we're really far off. Whenever it comes to a set of principles that say the only constant is change, Mm. it really illuminates the separation there, Mm and whenever we're viewing everything from our lens our physical eyes in this world as we know it this 3d reality uh from a place of like the only constant is change and everything's constantly evolving and changing it really like i said it illuminates how separate we are from that source that is never going to change that has never changed
2: Mm -hmm.
0: that has been eternal that always will be eternal
2: and then let me ask you this because this is something that is um that we hear a lot in the community too, because you're saying it illuminates how separate we are from that objective reality or the source. But what about air quotes the separation is an illusion? <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. This is a conversation that I was,
1: <laughs> was a conversation that I was having
0: last night. What do all spit or drink out? <laughs> Yeah, I think. Oh
1: man, note yeah. to self: do not drink anything on the quantum shit show.
0: I think, <laughs> uh, you know, I guess we, we can get into it. This is uh, little pilot, little pilot episode. We're gonna fly right into this. <laughs> but yeah, I, from the way that I see it, immediately what comes up is just like, we gotta look at which anatomy we're actually talking about. Yes. Right, because yeah, there's in the same way that we are connected to that source. I kind of forgot the question already.
1: You were saying, what about the, the, in the spiritual community where it's like separation is an illusion.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: right. Because because I am God, but it's like what you said the other day was you were talking about the only way so that
0: to view something subjectively
1: is to be separate from it.
0: Just to be separated from the object at some level. I mean, you, We live in a world that is made up of subjective viewpoints. I mean, this is getting into simulation (laughs) (laughs) hypothesis and simulation theory. But, you know, if there is something objective, the only way to view it subjectively is to be separated from it on some level. Right. Other way, otherwise, it would just be viewed for the object that it is. Right. Mm-hmm. The only way to really describe what a tree is is to be separate from that right and mm-hmm. separate it from that subjective lens and because mm-hmm. it's subjective, that means that I can be on one side of the tree and you can be on the other side of the tree, and we're both seeing two different images, even though we both mm-hmm. know it's a tree, but to actually understand the objectivity to understand the object itself
2: you must be the tree. You Right, exactly. Well,
0: well, this is what it is with our source with God. And, you know, there are going to be some things that I say, this is the way it is, set in stone, right? (laughs) And I could be wrong, but there are also going to be some things where hopefully I think each of us have the wisdom to know what we don't know and what we do know. I think that's kind of what wisdom is. But in the conversation of having a relationship with God or even being a part of God, And then also navigating this reality that we're in. We have to start looking at these things for what they are right in front of our faces and stop leaning into the things that are unexplained. Stop leaning into the mystery and start saying, this doesn't add up. Right. And we still have a life to live. That's what a lot of people like use to avoid some of these things that their soul is actually desiring to know, right, the responsibility, the, the lives, the people that depend on them, the energetic structures, right, whether it's a career path or uh, relationships with people, places, things, all of the above, family members, uh, culture, tradition, whatever it is, wounding. I mean, some people are entirely on trajectories of perpetuated wounding we got to navigate these things, Mm -hmm. right? But there's this deep part inside of us that is a part of our anatomy that is connected to that source. And (laughs) we're being pulled by that Mm -hmm. back as a way of, like, compressing back into that, magnetizing back into that while we're existing in this separated reality, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So that's what this show was all about. This is why we call it the Quantum Shit Show because you get into – not only some really heady things that can be really mental and like, we don't really want to get into all that mushy brain kind of stuff. Even though for most people who have been on a spiritual path, you start getting into things that haven't been considered spiritual before, like math like physics. You know, you start looking at grand design, you start looking at universal patterns, fractality, and you start moving into like more of the quantum understanding of these things even fractality isn't necessarily, it can be linear at the same time, but this is just what we're here to navigate. So like to have grounded conversations about this, I think it's important for each one of us. This is why I feel like we are anchors in this conversation is because we've all had our own experience of getting caught in all these thought loops, but then healing to a point where we have an experience of that source Mm -hmm. we have an experience Mm -hmm. of something that doesn't matter what's going on externally or from the subjective lens we're having a set in stone resurrection of our own consciousness and our own spirit and soul back into where it belongs yes right and it becomes embodied to a level within us that we're carrying that and we're able to have a subjective experience of this world you know i see the tree from this side you see the tree from that side but there is that anchored thing that is connected to the objective reality. And from there, we can start to kind of like override the subjective view to be anchors of truth in the communities that we're in, in the career paths that we're in, in the families that we're a part of, in the relationships that we choose to be a part of. And that's that's where we're all at, pretty much, I feel like. like us three, I think that that has been what I've seen for us.
2: Yeah. So it's like, I'm on one side of the tree looking at the tree, you're on another side looking at the tree, and we're describing what we're seeing, but ultimately inside, we know the tree is a simulation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there
0: is no tree.
2: There is no it's a tree. a projection of the mind. <laughs> Just kidding.
0: Don't try to cut the tree down. Just realize there is no tree.
2: Oh my
1: goodness.
0: <laughs> right? Don't try to bend the spoon.
1: Yeah. yeah. No. Oh, go, go ahead, Danica.
2: No, you go ahead.
1: Go ahead. It just, when he was saying that, it was just making me think of all the things I experienced growing up around God and how schizophrenic I felt God was by the time I had reached my 20s and 30s. I was like, <laughs> this, this being is off their rocker. Like one minute, it's like divine... Unconditional love, and the next minute it's like, you know, slaughter them all, kill every single one of them, don't leave anyone standing, you know, and it was just like there's mm-hmm. murder and there's love, and like, where does this all fit in? and um it it like opened my eyes to the things that I would witness and experience in people who claimed God, but their their description of God or their um, directive from God. Was like very, you know, opposed to what I felt inside about what God was. And I started to realize how fractured God was. <laughs> and I know God is not <laughs> fractured, right. but from the perspective of how people would slap God on everything and say, God said, or God told me, or I'm doing this because God said this. And I watched that through religion and then came into New Age. And then it was, you know, I am God, which let's not even talk about how fractured that is. And then it was quantum, you know, healing. And it was like, some people wouldn't even use the word God. It was source. It was just all the stuff. And I'm just like, there was a moment that for me personally, I had to walk through. And it was like, I had this deep knowing in me that I was like, I have to heal this relationship that I have with God. I have to heal that. Mm -hmm. I have to start there because if I don't start there, nothing that I do out here in the world, doesn't matter how genius it is or what I say or any of that, it will be all for nothing because it'll be built on something that's fractured. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, just witnessing that and Bo talking about, you know, subjective reality and the, the objective truth. And like my firm belief is that God is the epitome of objective truth. Mm-hmm. And That is what God is. And the only way for me to describe God is to still in some way be in a separated space from that objective truth. And that my goal is to constantly be moving closer into a unified relationship so that I'm anchoring that objective truth, that I'm no longer standing outside of it, trying to describe it to other people. And like, this is what it looks like. Rather, it's just being anchored and
2: expressed through Mm -hmm. my
1: life
2: Mm -hmm. you know i don't know yeah that's that is what relationship is i feel like
1: Mm -hmm. i agree Mm completely
2: because otherwise it's really like you said almost like an observance it's not really a relationship or a mutual devotion it's something else yep Yeah, yeah it's
0: without soul like yeah that emotion that the devotion that you're talking about that brings life back into it you know this is something that we have, I think Jody and I have really come to realize about what devotion actually means because a lot of the relationships um, in this life, in this world, whenever I talk about the world, I'm really talking about a program, <laughs> uh, kind of like a <laughs> bandwidth of frequency that contains all of the things that we perceive outside of ourselves. I mean, the world as as the fallen consciousness, you know where our bodies come from, where this planet and all of the cosmos within this bandwidth of frequency comes from, all this programming, the code that's written here, um, the relationships that form this world they're not necessarily a reciprocal give and take, you know, so devotion comes in and says. You have all of me. I am here for you. I am yours.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? And this is the relationship that we have with God. This is the relationship that that eternal source and us being the creation of that. This is how that source really feels for us. I'm just like, I am yours. I am here for you. You have all of me. You have access to this. Everything that I have is for you. And we have that within us because the law of equal exchange. I mean, that applying that law would mean that that devotion that God feels for us is innately wired into our anatomy and our being, our code, mm-hmm. how we're created. So that devotion has been hijacked. It has been almost like a plug just ripped out of the socket of God <laughs> and plugged into something that has described God or or a false representation of what that creation or the creator actually is, that source. And we're given all these different ideas of what has sourced us or what um, (laughs) has created the reality that we exist in. And we are basically whipped into the slavery of devoting ourselves to that Mm -hmm. rather than that which sets us free. Right? Mm-hmm. All of these laws that we're, our devotion is hijacked and it's turned into servitude, mm-hmm. it's turned yeah. into uh, worship, yeah. where mm-hmm. there is no true reciprocal uh, giving and taking. It just turns into something where we're giving all that we have to something that is just collecting its payment.
2: Right. It's harvesting us, essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. Right.
0: It's just, yeah, it's, it's it's exactly like our devotion is the, the cost that we pay for the crimes committed, right? True relationship with God and anchored in devotion into the heart space and out of the mind, out of all of the false identity and really embodying that relationship, it will dismantle all massive religions because religions were created as a means of control, their mind control programs. So it will dismantle even at the core of those religions, the mind control programs that have operated and gained their power on the set of rules that require us to be separate from God. So coming back into relationship with God and really inheriting that, that heritage, that birthright, right. Of our true ancestral lineage from that creative mm-hmm. source, uh, not only allows us access to the things that have been sought after that we will talk in depth more in this show about eternal life, resurrection. Um, what's the word moving through time and space. That's what eternal life is. But these things that have been sought after for millennia, I mean, as long as time has been a thing, these are the things that have, uh, been sought through things like the Holy Grail, through, <laughs> you know, that relationship with God actually grants us access to those things, but it will also dismantle the structures of this world, not only religions, but all massive mind control programs that are mm-hmm. keeping people separate from their source. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. that keep people, plunged into the darkness of seeking all the external validation i mean this will heal things like codependency uh addictions i mean all sorts of sicknesses that they call sicknesses of the mind
1: um, <laughs> really what it
0: is is an absence of life in the heart and that artificial life of the mind kind of takes over mm
2: mm-hmm. yeah you said something about birthright and this is something that I've actually been pondering this morning because I saw a post on Instagram that um my friend and fellow indigenous person um uh WecoLove, Love she shared it this morning and it was fr- it was from um another indigenous page and it was talking about um rights and responsibilities I
1: saw it and, oh, yeah
2: And it was talking about, um, basically said something like, in our village, we don't have rights. We have responsibilities. So we don't have rights over land. We don't have land rights. We don't have rights over water or or trees or whatever. We have responsibilities over them. And so I started pondering that. And I actually started to apply it to just our relationship with God in general. Mm -hmm. because And I started thinking about like birthright and stuff like that. And it's like, yes, we do have a birthright. But I think above that... We actually have a responsibility to sovereignty. We have a responsibility Mm -hmm. to healing. And yes, we do have these rights, but I think that in order to actually claim that right, we have to take the responsibility for it. You know what I mean? So it's almost like the responsibility is is a prerequisite to claiming that right. Um, And that that was just something that I was pondering this morning that felt really profound to me because – and and it's something that I've said a lot – Even in my own, um, you know, session containers and my course container and everything, I talk a lot about our birthright. And now I'm thinking about responsibility over right, you know. So it's like we have the responsibility to maintain our sovereignty. We have a responsibility to um, be healed, you know. And so it, it, it really puts the power back into us whenever we claim responsibility over a right to something, because then at that point it's like, it's like, yes, I understand. We have a right to these, like our relationship with God. We have a right to our sovereignty and healing because, because we exist, right. We're children of God. And yes, but, I feel like almost for some people it there's a disconnect there because it's like, they try to claim it. They're entitled to it. Right. But then it's like, right. where's the action? Where's the action? You know? So that was just something that I was pondering this morning when you said birthright It just made me think of it again. So, um, no, that's yeah, it was so
1: good because I read that post and I was having not the same thought. I was thinking about the differentiation between the right and the responsibility. And I'm like, this is much clearer. In terms of talking to people about this, because everything I could associate with the word right, like it's my right, this is my right. Every time I could think of that in my mind as I was reading it, I was like, this has always incited conflict. This has Mm -hmm. always incited some kind of war, Mm -hmm. some kind of line being drawn, Mm -hmm. and it perpetuates conflict when Mm -hmm. we stand in what is my right. That's how I felt when I was reading it. I was like, this perpetuates conflict.
2: Within us and with other people, and- yeah, and that's kind of what the post was saying because it was like when people feel like they have a right to something, they are in conflict over it. But whenever they both have a responsibility to something, they work together mm. to right. steward it, you know, and achieve it. So yeah. I thought that that was really cool. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense to me too.
0: I think of a couple of things. I think of right being like almost like entitlement. Mm-hmm. You know, you mm-hmm. have entitlement mm-hmm. to that, um, and I think that. Yeah. Definitely entitlement has been demonized. Mm-hmm. villainized. I think that's the words for it. it. Especially whenever it comes to like spiritual virtue, like entitlement. Um, but that's rooted in like <clears throat> vows of poverty and martyrdom programming and self-sacrifice programming. And I think like exactly what you're saying as this is a perfect uh, example I'm realizing in this conversation of bridging this gap and really seeing this from two different spaces because exactly what you're talking about uh, Danica is and Jody is like the rights being entitled in this world creates conflict, right? Because it's just like, (laughs) this is nothing to really fight over. And yet we are responsible for our experience here and the way that we show up.
2: So we're responsible for our rights. (laughs) You have, it started to it started yeah. make me think of like the, the bill of rights. What if it was the bill of responsibilities? Yeah,
0: yes. like, you know, Thinking about a group of like, you know, who wants to be responsible for this and uh, let me get a volunteer. It's you have somebody who stands and takes ownership of something. So I think that this is a, a, a perfect example of, you know, ways that we view this thing in this life, mm-hmm. You know, in this reality, this world that our bodies live in, um, rights and responsibilities, I think navigating that, taking ownership of something and really standing for that or, um, you know, treating it as an extension of yourself.
1: Yeah. Right. I think it's powerful because if you're going to take claim in something or you're going to say, this belongs to me. Right. But you don't accept responsibility for that thing. Then, mm-hmm. then what you're saying um, is just a bunch of words. It, it has no, there's no value in there. There's, you're actually mm-hmm. not expressing your right to it. Basically, is oh, how it looks to me. Is like
0: it's like getting your first car and then not being willing to pay for the gas or any repairs or even your insurance things that <laughs> you know we need here in, in mm-hmm. the United States to drive quote unquote legally. But yeah, it's like you feel entitled to the vehicle, but if you're not taking ownership of that vehicle. And everything that that comes with, mm-hmm. then what right do you really have to it in the first place? And then on the other hand, you have things with God that it from that relationship we truly are entitled to, and that ends all bickering, all suffering, because it really like all the things that in this life we would have another conversation about about rights and responsibilities. It kind of takes all of that off the table. Mm-hmm. Because our birthright is basically the end of the world. It is the end of the things that create have any potential to create division and mm-hmm. our our only responsibility, almost like the biblical story of the prodigal son, is like all he had to do was come home to his father's house and stand as his son and claim his space as I am my father's son. Mm-hmm. And, even the and other that
2: took family, accountability and responsibility to get there. Exactly. Right. He,
0: he couldn't show up and be like, I'm entitled to this. Because he tried that in the story. If anyone's familiar with that, he, he tries to say, I am entitled to my inheritance. And I will do whatever the hell I want with it. <laughs> right. And responsible or not, I'm going to get my inheritance. And he goes and squanders it. Right. Ends up in uh, the pig pen or whatever. And then he comes back. And all his father needs him to do is. Take his place as a son. Yeah. You know, even the other, his brother, who had been serving with the servants, living there the whole time, not squandering his inheritance, kind of playing by the book and be like, I'm going to be a good little boy mm-hmm. for my father. He sees that the father's throwing this prodigal son the feast and like, my, my son has come home. And he's like, Why don't I? I've, I've literally been here like serving you the entire time. I'm like third, like, and. <laughs> I have been doing everything that you needed me to do. I serve you, you know, yada, yada, yada. And the father is just like, right, you've had access to this the whole time, but you haven't taken ownership of your place as my son. You've intended, insisted on serving Mm -hmm. me as a servant.
1: Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. So,
0: mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is a ma- major
2: metaphor. Yeah. <laughs>
1: right.
2: This is bringing up in me too the, uh, I guess, the distinction between ownership and stewardship too. Mm. This is like this is making me think about that as well, and then applying that even to our emotions. Like, do we really own them, or if we're in the place of like being the witness to the experience that we're having. Are we just like stewarding them and managing them as well?
1: Mm -hmm. You know,
2: like are we identifying with them and becoming them Are you know, but it's like, it makes me, it makes me think of this story too, because it's like the, the prodigal son, he took ownership of it, but then couldn't steward it. You know what I mean? He took ownership of his inheritance, but then couldn't steward it and manage it and, and uh, cultivate it. Right. And, and then he ended up becoming destitute and I think that um there's a there's a distinction there that I feel like uh can be made.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. This is a bigger conversation. Food for thought
0: <laughs> right here on the Quantum Shit Show. <laughs> and this is how it
2: happens. Yeah, what, what we're you- definitely um nearing our time limit for the first episode though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we are. I'm good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean I-
2: we could we could <laughs> we could keep going or we could
0: but what you said about stewarding emotions and all of that. It it reminded me of uh, Rumi, the poet. He's a Sufi poet, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had this whole thing about emotions and stewarding the emotions and treating oh, wow. as a guest in your house. Right? Like as if you had a guest house and whatever the emotion is, it's kind of like deep, like philosophical. Rumi, the poet kind of thing. <laughs> It's basically exactly what you're saying is just like as they're there, whatever it is, whether it's anger, whether it's, uh, you know, joy, he's really kind of describing this non-attachment to the emotion, um, but also just like treating it as if it's a guest in your house um, and not really giving it a limit as far as like how long it can stay. But as it comes to knock on the door, you give it a roof over its head and you say, you know, I will take care of you while you're here. And then whenever it's ready to go, it can just go on its way. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like the whole virtue of like not closing your door on your own emotions. And I don't know. It's open to interpretation, I'm sure. But it totally reminded me of that. And the response is like, if you're. I've
2: never heard that before. It's like an emotion bed and breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Invite them in, but also don't lock them away. It's not the hotel, California.
0: (laughs) You are the innkeeper. Oh, man. Yeah, (laughs) it's um, exactly what you said. I think this is a good, good topic. And I think that it can really be broken apart in a lot of different ways. And I think uh, the rights and responsibilities, the entitlement and ownership, I think can mean two different things, you know, in just the life that we live here. Right. There's a lot of like good virtue and kind of like a standard to be said as far as the rights and responsibilities conversation and then looking at the relationship with God and being bold enough to take ownership for that relationship, but also maintaining the responsibilities and the standards that come with embodying that relationship and making the decisions that others don't make because they're in a different kind of relationship it really sets a standard that starts to break some things down. And as we look at the things that are breaking down, they kind of point on a micro level to the macro laws that are governing the lives that we actually live that are perpetuating that separation. I just think that's super powerful conversation.
2: Yeah. There's more here. Well, maybe we can do that in the next Episode. Yeah, I'm just down. pick up where we're left off.
1: Yeah. <laughs> a good uh, conversation
2: to have.
0: Yeah. And whatever yeah. else.
2: Uh huh. <laughs> and whatever. We're just going to flow. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for the first um, episode of the Quantum Shit Show. Right. We will see you next time.
0: Peace.